Hello and welcome to the Get Italian Football News podcast. I'm your host, Sam Brooks, and this week I'm joined by Jake Smalley, Raphael Jukobin, and Francesco Amesbury. Welcome, everyone, and let's get started, first of all, with what I think most of us consider the biggest game of the weekend. That was on Saturday, uh, sorry Sunday evening, uh, Roma hosting Milan. This was a massive game for Milan. They'd just fallen seven points behind Inter before that game, but they managed to pull out a 2-1 win. Uh, I'm going to come to you first, Jake. How impressed were you with Milan, given how poor they've been in recent weeks? They've had a really tough period where they only just made it through the Europa League group stage, uh, sorry, um, last 32 stage last week, and have had a few dodgy results in the league. So what did you make of their performance on Sunday? Uh, I think they were probably deserving winners, uh, looking back at the game. I think it, it was a strange game to watch, uh, in all honesty. I think midfield on both sides was a place where it was a little bit weak. It got a little bit leggy at times. And I think, if, if we're being honest, it's the key moments in the game that sort of stand out in terms of how it affected the result. Uh, I think the penalty uh, on Calabria, if we're watching that in normal time, it's not given. You know, none of the rubber players even appealed for it. It wasn't really mentioned. Then we bring it back. And then, you know, it is, it is a little bit controversial. I think it probably was a penalty. I think the uh, the contact was enough um, to justify a penalty. And Frank Kessie, who, by the way, at the minute is playing absolutely out of his skin. He's, he's been absolutely exceptional this season. Um, he's becoming the player that perhaps people hoped he would when he signed for Milan in the first place. He's been absolutely brilliant. Um, and that, that's probably the most important thing. Roma had plenty of possession in the game, but they couldn't really make anything count. It was obvious they were missing players as well. I thought Federico Fazio had a really poor game. Uh, I think playing a couple of players out of position as well made it quite difficult for them to have any sort of impact. I think going forward, Mkhitaryan was a little bit off. You know, Missing that focal point in Dzeko was uh, a disappointment for them. But I think Milan were ultimately uh, deserved winners. It wasn't a classic. Um, they just needed to get anything from that game they could in terms of Coming away unscathed, I think, think something that might maybe be bad for them in the coming weeks is like a couple of knocks um, were taken to a few of their players, notably uh, Ibrahimovic uh, and Rebic as well. So we'll have to see in the coming days how that will affect them. Yeah, I agree. I think, you know, that they were coming off the back of two defeats, two pretty bad defeats as well. You know, when you look at the actual performances in themselves. So I think for me, you know, it's it's interesting how just a few a few players, you know, showing up and giving giving good performances can make that much of a difference. Because I think, on the whole, I don't think it was a performance which really moved sort of heaven and earth in terms of you know getting their mojo back from the start of the season. I think you had a few players like well, like Tonali, like Kessia, like Tomori actually who came in uh, into the team who really impressed in that game. But, you know, that was enough to make the difference. But on the whole, I don't think I don't think that much has changed in terms of the overall structure and the coherence of how they've been playing in recent weeks. I mean, we saw, I think especially at the very start of the game, they had about half a dozen chances in the first five minutes. And really, you know, they should have, they should have put it beyond reach after about 10 minutes, really. And that just didn't happen. So I think there is, there are still, you know, there is still cause for concern with Milan. And I think, you know, they were very much aided by the fact that, you know, Roma are just, you know, they're, they're not, they're not very, they're, they've got a horrendous track record against these, against these big teams. So, yeah, I, I think it's, it's not. I don't think it's a performance where we'll be able to. You know, we can. We can definitely say that they're they're back into form, but it's definitely a good sign that some players have sort of returned into some sort of regular regular playing pattern. Yeah, I um, I'd like to add that um, it it was a really it, like you cannot underline enough how much of a big game this was for Milan um, after starting off the season so well and I think at one point they were kind of 13 points ahead of the fifth place team in Serie A so Champions League qualification looked pretty secure for them you know they've had a poor couple of weeks and going into this game I, I thought Roma were going to beat Milan I thought Milan were going to be in real trouble and um, and it just didn't pan out that way they, they had a really good first kind of half an hour as, as Raphael said and they created loads of chances they should have been leading already but the result actually 
it changes their league position quite dramatically because if they had lost against Roma, they would only have been three points ahead of the fifth place team in Serie A. And I think from that position, they would have struggled to hold on to that lead for the rest of the season. They would have been in real danger of not qualifying. But the win against Roma is, is quite a dramatic change because now they're actually eight points ahead of the fifth place team. So it's a really important result for Milan. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. And I, and I think... Um... I want to stick with Milan actually for, for another couple of minutes because I think that was such a major talking point from the weekend. Um, I think heading into that game, the news that really uh, sort of captured the fans' attention was that Tamori was coming in for Romagnoli. Such a big call for Pioli to drop his captain in such a massive game. Uh, Raphael, do you think Tamori justified his selection in the end? And also, what, what about sort of Tonali coming in? I think there was a bit of debate as to whether he'd start or Mate. But of course, there was that one passage in the first half where Tamori and Tonali both put in last-ditch blocks. Did that sort of typify the Milan sort of spirit in that game to get through after missing a lot of early chances, but still come away with the three points in the end? Yeah, definitely. I mean, we were saying last week that, you know, Romagnoli just got skinned by Lukaku throughout the game. And now we now we now you compare that with um, you know with Sunday we, where we were seeing Tamori just sprinting back to make those large last ditch tackles and really just preventing a lot of uh, a lot of quite dangerous Roma attacks because it was it was end to end stuff for a good half hour and either team could have taken the lead and eventually it was it was Milan but you know Roma were threatening as well on their end and I think. Tomori is a big, well, the main reason for, for that not happening. So I think Pioli was justified. And, you know, will will, will he carry on with Tomori going forward? I, th- I think, you know, if, if, if Milan are to carry on, you know, use this game as a springboard, then there is a case to be made for Romagnoli being dropped permanently. I think he's made the big call already by dropping him for this big game. There's no reason for me why he shouldn't he shouldn't be permanently well not permanently dropped but dropped for uh, for the time being. I think personally, I think Tamori made a bit of a case for definitely starting the next set of fixes. I think one thing that was really encouraging, like you just mentioned there, Raphael as well, is the fact that he was so pacey. I think his ability to defend against the counter attack was something that was clearly lacking with Romagnoli last week. I think it might be a bit of a bold claim, but if Tamori can get a few games under his belt, it might be something that might want to be revisited in the summer, a permanent transfer. I know there's a clause to make it permanent, but perhaps financially that's a little bit beyond Milan's reach at the moment. But if he can put in some really good performances, there is a little bit of a lack of quality in terms of central defenders for England going forward for the Euros. I mean, you've got Maguire, you've got Stones, they'd imagine probably start, but if he can put in some really strong performances between now and the end of the season at a club that would finish in the Champions League spots, it'd be hard not to sort of look at him as potentially maybe a third or fourth choice and a back option for England, in my view. Um, I, uh, I agree. I, I think Jake mentioned his pace there, and I think that's, uh, that's an important part of this because... Um, one of the things, I mean, I think Kier and Romagnoli have actually done pretty well this season overall. Uh, but one of the things where they are a bit weak is their speed. Neither of them are that quick. And so from a technical point of view, having someone there who is a bit quicker really can make a difference. And we saw that yesterday. I think Tomori did have a good game. And I agree with the other guys that he's probably, there's no reason for, for Purely to drop him now. He, he looks good and he works well with Kier. If I was Romagnoli, though, I would be annoyed <laughs> because... I don't think that Kier is any quicker than Romagnoli. I think uh, the big the big mistake that Romagnoli really made uh, in the game against uh, Inter is uh, is saying to Kier, I'll, I'll mark Lukaku. Why don't you just pass him on to Kier? I mean, what are you thinking? You're, you're going to look bad. He's so quick and it's such a mismatch. But I don't think that Kier would have done any better. Um, I think he would have the same problem. So I, I agree that Tomori should probably start for Milan now, certainly in the next game. Uh, but if I'm Romagnoli, I am feeling annoyed about how it's, how it's worked out. Yeah, I I agree with you, actually. I've seen a lot over the last week about how Romagnoli should be dropped and how he's rubbish all of a sudden. Um, I don't really know where that's come about from because 
he's done absolutely fine this season, in my opinion. Actually, Kier's got injured quite a bit. Kalulu has looked quite promising, but has been in and out of the team. And now Tamori's come in. So this whole narrative that Romagnoli's rubbish because he had a bad game against Lukaku, who's the best striker in the league this season, is nonsense, in my opinion. Yeah, totally agree with you, Sam, because if I, I, I think there was a real chance, I mean, until a couple of weeks ago, there was a real chance that Romagnoli would have started for Italy at the Euros. I mean, he would have been in the picture, especially with the season Bonocci's had, you know, injuries, a couple of unconvincing uh, performances. So all of a sudden he's gone from potentially being a starter for Italy in the Euros to, you know, struggling for a place at Milan. It, it is a, a quick turnaround and it's, it's based on the fact that he's not as fast as Lukaku, as far as I can see, so... Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, I think I think he is uh, he's come out of this pretty pretty badly. He's been a bit unlucky, but yeah, Tamori was was great this weekend. Yeah. I I think Romagnoli still has a big part to play this season, so I'm not counting him out at all. Um, I want to move on to Roma now. Um, and Jake, I, I think the main thing I took from this Roma performance was that they actually sort of got better as the game went on, but the first 15 minutes they were awful. I mean, like. Terrible passing around at the back. The keeper almost gifted a goal to Ibrahimovic. What, why do you think they started off so slowly? Was it a tactical error from the manager or was it just this mental sort of issue that they have against the big teams and they couldn't get a foothold in the game? I think you've probably got to say an element of both. I think tactically they're a little bit naive, but you know, I've mentioned it before. I think the biggest issue is the fact they had a few key players missing. And, I, and by that, I mean sort of leaders as well. I think Jekyll's had his problems this year with the manager and and uh, you know, there's been a bit going on there, but uh, missing him and missing Chris Smalling are two massive players that they could really do with starting every game, really. And I think the players that they've got in reserve, I think I mentioned it before, Federico Fazio, I thought he was terrible. Uh, I think he'll be looking to start another game this season based off that. And, you know, his sarcastic applause towards the referee uh, at awarding the penalty could have been even more sort of trouble. But I think the biggest problem that Roma have at the moment is the fact that there's just no fluidity in the team at all. I think there's some really good individual players in there. A couple of players who are having quite good seasons in the form of Veritu and Mkhitaryan, but there just seems to be no real tactical link between defence and attack in any way. Uh, I think some of the individual players, like I said, are quite useful, but one big key area as well that lacking is in the goal. Uh, Paolo Lopez, as, as much as he can make a few good saves every now and again, shot-stopping-wise, he can be quite useful. He makes a lot of silly errors. And you can definitely sort of scale that second Milan goal back down to the fact that he took a really, really poor goal kick. If you watch it back, he kicks it basically to no one. It's not as if he's trying to pick out one of the full-backs or the wingers. He just sort of kicks it uh, aimlessly, trying to play out a pointless short goal kick for no real reason. And perhaps that comes from the fact that he's not got Jekyll as an outball. You know, that, that could be something that could be mentioned. But... Um, since Allison left, they've really struggled to fill that void, and it is tough to find a really good goalkeeper, especially when you're sort of trying to cut back a little bit as well. But um, I think their biggest issue at the moment is just that real lack of fluidity in any sort of way. Um, they're really struggling to sort of put out a team that you know you're going to get a really good performance out each week. I think against the top sides, they just need that bit of something extra. Yeah, I, I, I think that Jake is. Is, uh, is right about the leadership issue as well. I think if you compare the two teams, I, I know Roma, they've got quite a few young players, but it's not just an age thing. They were missing Zeko, which I think is a, a big miss. But if you compare kind of the way that Kessie and Chanaloglu and Rebic and Ibrahimovic approached the game yesterday, they were immediately, and, and even Calabria, you know, young players on the Milan side, but they were immediately in Roma's faces and they were immediately, you know, ready. They looked ready. They were all, and, and Roma just didn't have any of that. And if you look through Roma's team, you know, there aren't any real obvious leaders. I don't really subscribe to that kind of shouty leader idea that, that you get in football sometimes, but it's not just that. It's just, they, see, you know, even, even someone like Pellegrini, who's having a really quite a good season, you know, he's Roman born, he's, he's a good player. But if you compare him to the way Kessie was yesterday and the way they approach the game and the way they kind of take the game, you know, to the other team, there's just no comparison. And I think yesterday they really lack that. And Roma are a decent side from a technical point of view. They've got they've got good players and they've done really well against the smaller sides, but they just haven't had any results really against the bigger sides this year. I think they've only got three points off, off of the top seven in Serie A this season and they, they've all been draws. So you, you, I do think that there is kind of a, a personality slash leadership issue where, where you want those players to kind of, you know, become 
take more ownership for the game, be ready for those big games and, and show a bit of personality the way the Milan players did yesterday. Yeah, that did seem to be a major difference. Uh, and I, I agree, Kessier in the middle of the park was by far the outstanding player on the day. Um, and so Milan came back to within four points because earlier in the day, Inter had moved seven points clear briefly with a 3-0 win against Genoa. Um, we've already mentioned him in the show. Romelu Lukaku was on fire, got a goal, got an assist, and it's just playing outstanding at the moment. Um can he and Inter be stopped, Raphael? What do you think? It's hard to see it happening, really. I mean, the close. I mean, obviously, the their closest rivals are going to be Milan and Juve, but both of those teams have been far too inconsistent, and they've got European commitments. Realistically, every every possible factor is in Inter's favour. Um, you know, all of their players are hitting form at the right time. They've got the they've got a pretty hefty points lead. They've got they've got the benefit or the luxury really of, of playing once a week. And Conte, you know, he's got all the time in the world to prepare for prepare for his games. And I think one one more thing as well is that mentality factor as well. I mean, we saw, we saw Lukaku after the game. You were saying, you know, these were the kind of games that we were losing last year. You know, ultimately, those are the kind of games that lost in the title last year, really, if you break it down points-wise. So, I think, yeah, we are seeing a much more, well, this year in general, we're seeing a much more streamlined into, um, you know, even if even if they did have those, those European setbacks, um, you know, they are better on every single front. Despite all the sort of, all of the, um, the sort of, well, what's going on with the ownership uh, behind the scenes, which you know, there was a danger that it might have sort of spilled onto the pitch in terms of you know disrupting disrupting things, but it doesn't look like that's happened. So realistically, I don't see them. I don't see them letting up. Yeah, I th- I think we w- we were talking um sort of at the start of the year saying with Inter being out of Europe, could that really suit them? Given that Conte. I think it's widely regarded as one of the best managers in the world week to prepare for each game. Jake, would you say that's the main reason for Inter's upturn in form since the turn of the year? Or has it also got to do with other factors such as, you know, Christian Eriksen coming into form? As I said, Lukaku stepping up, Barella getting better and better each week. How, what do you put it down to? And there's a number of things, really. I think... Um... A big part of it is down to the fact that the January transfer window went the way it did a little bit as well. I think Christian Eriksen, if there could have been an offer coming for him that uh, was satisfactory for the ownership, he would have gone. Uh, I think the same for Ivan Perisic as well. So I think they were two players that Conte probably wanted rid of maybe or the club wanted off the books, but um, they've been sort of reintegrated and they found sort of a role for them really. I think Conte's almost sort of looked at these players now and thought, look, this is what I've got for the season. This is what will carry me through. I've got no excuses, really, because if they don't win the league this season, it's been a massive failure, really, because it'll have been no improvement on last year, given the fact they've invested in the squad a bit more and uh, given the fact that Juventus are nowhere near as strong this year um, as they have been over the last decade. Uh, there's a real opportunity for them. Conte has come, big salary. He's you know spent quite a lot of money on players, so they have to win the league this season to show any sort of real progress. And uh, the lack of... European success is one thing, but that's something that will have to wait until next season for now. Uh, but ultimately, I think the players seem to be really galvanised. I think the man that leads that is Lukaku. He's, he's been absolutely superb since he joined the club, um, you know, the start of last season. But a number of players have come out in the media in the past week or so, Latora Martinez, uh, Nicola Barella, sort of talking about the manager's influence, you know, as if the manager's sort of uh, taking a bit of an aside to chat to the players one-to-one and sort of try and see what he can bring the best out of them. And, Ultimately, I think a lot of Inter's success does really rest around Lukaku. I think if he's to get injured or, um, you know, God forbid that from an Inter perspective, uh, it could be a real issue. Because at the moment, I think watching them in the bigger games over the last few weeks, in the Milan game, the Lazio game, even the Juventus game to an extent, they seem really solid defensively with those back three of Bastoni, Skriniar, De Vrij, who superb centre-halves. You know, they can play for most teams in the world, uh, those three. And it just makes them so hard to break down. And then when they sort of counter 
Lukaku just tears teams apart. And that's the biggest part of that success. If that's to become hindered in any way, it might become quite difficult. But um, it just seems as if everything's sort of clicking into place. Tactically, the players are getting used to his system a little bit. And uh, they're sort of buying into his approach fully now. And I think the Juventus result's a big one as well. Winning against Juventus has given them some real confidence. And I think the fact they scored so early into the game on Sunday um, was key to that. And then get, as soon as that second goal went in, it was you know easy straight from there. They are playing with a lot of confidence and Lukaku is so central to that. Yeah, they're, um, they're, it also feels to me like this is the most settled Inter side that there's been since they won the treble. I can't remember a team being more settled, more, you know, at ease with themselves. It feels like Conte's really found the formula now. And <clears throat> with the kind of rehabilitation of Ericsson and Perisic, he's completed the team. Um, so I think the the fact that he's got this week to prepare games as well and they're out of Europe does help. But but I, I also believe that if Inter was still in Europe, they would still be doing better at this stage of the season just because he now has a better team that he's putting out there. If you think about how Inter was starting some of the games earlier on in the season, sometimes on that left-hand side, you'd have Kolarov plus Young plus Gallardini. And now you've got Bastoni plus Eriksson and Perisic. And to me, that is a big upgrade. So it's, it's a stronger side, as well as the fact they've got this more time to prepare. Conte's really getting his best players on the pitch and they look like a really complete team now. Yeah, that certainly seems to be the case. I wasn't convinced by them in the opening weeks of the season but uh certainly the last sort of month or so it's really clicked into gear um and something that seems to be helping them is they seem to be you know moving a few points further clear of Juve you know they've got a couple more points on them this week as Juve only managed a one-all draw against Hellas Verona uh Raphael for you was this even a surprising result or did this sort of typify Juve's where they've had a lot of draws against these kind of sides yeah, I mean, it's it wasn't a surprise, especially against against Elas. I mean, it was the same result as when the when the two sides met um, back in back in October, really, at the, at the, in the first half of the season. So, and you know, Juric has been doing an amazing job with the limited resources he has. So, this kind of result really wasn't that much of a surprise. Um, you know, they are a very well structured, well drilled side who can easily, well, maybe not easily, but it's not out of this world to see them take points off Juve. So it wasn't, it wasn't that much of a surprise. And I think, you know, Juve, Juve are going through a very, a very rough period right now where they are, you know, getting these draws, where they are, where it does seem like they're in a bit of a, a bit of a rebuilding phase in a way, which is, is sort of a bit antithetical in a way because of the fact that they have these a lot of veteran players like um, like Ronaldo, for example. But you know, you look at you look at the midfield, for example, the likes of the likes of Rabion Bentancourt haven't been haven't been at their best this season. Um, you know that that has been probably Juventus Achilles' heel in the sense that there is no clear no clear link between the defense and the attack. Um, you know, you've got you've got a striker who scored 19 goals this season, and uh, you know a very good defensive back line, but not really much in, in in between those. And you know that 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 shows on the in in the results. So it's yeah, it wasn't it wasn't that much of a surprise. And I think even if I do expect them to you know get back into form and sort of you know grind out a few more wins before the end of the season, it doesn't really seem like they're gonna click into gear early enough to, to you know to get just to just a amount of title challenge really it doesn't seem like they have the resources or the or the mouth yeah and so um i think looking at you know a lot of juventus reaction to that uh you know the midfield was heavily criticized once again and there's been talk about whether you know perhaps Juve should take the hit in the next year or so and get Ronaldo off the wage bill in order to rebuild the team as a whole. Francesco, what are your thoughts on that? Do Should they go that way? Or do you think Ronaldo can still be integral to their plans for the next couple of years whilst trying to get a couple of decent midfielders in, in the meantime? Um, it's It's a difficult one. I think... 
you know, when you look at Ronaldo's stats, what he does, how many goals he scored, I think he scored 42% of their goals. There was a stat going around this weekend that he scored 42% of their goals this season. I think he's already scored 70 plus goals for you in about 80 games. And that, you know, that is, those are the numbers of an amazing player. But I do think there is some truth to the fact that having Ronaldo on your team doesn't necessarily make your team better. I think, for example, Dybala is a worse player when Ronaldo is around. I think Morata is a worse player when Ronaldo is around. I think Kuluzewski probably could be better in a team without Ronaldo in. So I, I can see where they're getting at. The other thing I'd say about the, the Juve's midfield, and, and you mentioned wages, um, you know, a couple of years ago, they brought in um, Ramsey and Rabiot. Both of those guys are getting 7 million euros uh, a year, I think, which are huge wages considering how much they've actually contributed to Juve since they've been there. And so, you know, for 7 million euros a year in terms of wages, you could probably get another really good midfielder if they were able to offload those. The problem is it's quite tricky getting getting those wages off the book. So I think um, I think that Juve's midfield does does need some, you know, it needs some fresh players in there. I think um, that McKenney looks like a good addition. Um, and I'm, I'm still, I still think that Benton core is a good player. I know he's not had the best of time in recent weeks, but I think he's been good for Juve since he's been there. And I think he will return to form. Um, but yeah, the, the problem for me is more the fact that they've got these big wages on the midfielders that are currently there that are not really adding much. Um, and, and maybe it's there that they need to, to, change things rather than getting rid of Ronaldo although I do see why some people think that him leaving could uh, you know could open up other avenues for them yeah I mean I know, I know I've just criticized him but I do want to jump to Rabjo's defense um you know I, I I watched him when he when he first broke out in the in the PSG side as a very young player and I'm personally I'm convinced that there's there is a world-class player in there and that you know even if you know his past past few performances haven't really shown that. You know, on the technically on the ball and sometimes defensively as well, he is he can be a crucial player for Juventus. And you know, I think his perform is you know his off performances of late have been mostly due to you know just the general system at Juventus not really you know not really being up to up to scratch right now. So. I, th- I think it's, you know, I think it is a bit simplistic to potentially to say that, you know, they need to buy a new, a new midfielder because I think you have a midfield there which has the skill set to, to, you know, to contribute to contribute to a title winning squad. We saw it, we saw it last year, but I think it is just the general circumstances, the general, maybe the, you know, the environment that, that, that there is around Juventus right now, which is making them play play negatively, really. Uh, that that's yeah, I I see what you're saying about the you know the whole of Juve struggling at the moment. But what I would say is the rest of their team is full of good players. Is is close to world class players. Like their wingers are really good. Kiers has been a great addition. They've got great forwards, you know, they've got Ronaldo, Morata has been good, they've got Dybala, their defence is full of good players, you know, Kellini and Bonucci have been, I know they they might not be as good as they once were, but they are great players. Um, Demiral and, and uh, De Ligt look like really great young defenders and uh, Cuadrado's been brilliant this season. So the rest of their team is really, really good. The problems are in the midfield and Rabiot, he's been there for a year and a half and he's played in all kinds of different midfields. Like he was there with Sarri and he's, he's never been that good. I know that he, when he broke out at PSG, he, I agree with you. I think he looked like a top player. And when Juve bought him, I thought this is a good move. I, I thought the same about Ramsey, but they have, neither of those players have really done anything at Juve. Um, and if you, uh, you know, for me, if you look at Inter's midfield, I think Eriksson, Brozovic, Barella, and even Vidal, all of those players would start for Juve ahead of Rabiot. In my opinion, you you might disagree. Yeah. I think I think the only thing I'd say is that you said this midfield was good enough to win Serie A last year, Raphael. Uh, I think a couple of teams have really stepped up this season and just proven that this midfield isn't good enough to get away with it two years on the trot. 
Uh, I think Inter's midfield is stronger than it was last season. Um, I think Lazio, I think you'd say Lazio's midfield is definitely stronger than Inter's. Um, and even just hard-working players like Darun and Freuler, maybe not the big names, but even Atalanta's midfield works better. So, yeah, I agree with you that there are good... Bentancur and Rabiot, they're not rubbish. Just like, you know, people will have you say that they're rubbish, just like people say on Twitter that Romagnoli's rubbish and everyone's rubbish, apparently. They are good players, but I'm not sure they're tied to winning players anymore. So, let's see. But... uh Moving on to Atalanta, who I just mentioned briefly there. They won 2-0 against Sampdoria. I think uh, this was this was a really good result for them, actually, particularly after the loss to Real Madrid, which seemed like a really big missed opportunity. Obviously, some controversy in that game. Jake, they're, they're starting to find some form in the league now, though, and they're into the top four. Do you expect them to stay there? I think given the competition places, it'll be quite difficult for them. But I must say, I've been really impressed with how they've responded uh, since January, really. I think you're getting shades of last season uh, in the fact that they've sort of had a bit of a slow start and then sort of really press on the accelerator. I think less sort of flamboyant as last year where they were tubbing teams. But I think we're seeing a different side and they're becoming a little bit more steely. Uh, I think one player who's been absolutely outstanding is the left wing back, uh, Robin Gosens. He's been absolutely unbelievable at the moment. You know, he scored again at the weekend. He's looking at double figures this season for a left wing back. So, in terms of his position, he's he's definitely one of the best in Europe, uh, without a doubt. Definitely on current form. And you know, like the two players you just mentioned there in the midfield section, they're, they're really, really strong too. And even without Zapata at the weekend, they look really good. I mean, Luis Muriel doesn't start games. He doesn't need to. He only plays for 20 minutes and still manages to score every week. So it's not a bad replacement to bring in. But um, I, I've been really impressed with Atalanta. And just for the fairy tale sort of aspect, I'd love to see them in the top four again. Uh, even if it's just so they can dish out some revenge on Real Madrid should they not get through. Because, you know, that the the underdog for me is, is always the one that I cheer for. And I was really hoping that they'd uh, get one over Real Madrid. But it's uh, going to be a tough task in that second leg. But uh, yeah, I was really pleased with the performance that I saw from them over the weekend. Yeah, I think they're still in that Champions League tie, to be honest. I might be in the minority there, but I wasn't blown away by Real Madrid at all. Um, Something I do want to touch on, though, which has sort of come to light in the last week, is it seems maybe Ilicic has fallen down the pecking order a little bit at Atalanta. Um, You know, the last sort of two or three years, it's been the Papu and Ilicic show. Um, Obviously, Papu left in January and then Ilicic, we saw last week against Real Madrid. He didn't start, came on for half an hour, then got subbed off. Um, I thought it was a bit of a strange decision to bring him on, actually, because it didn't really seem like the type of game that he'd flourish in, particularly when they were down to 10 men. But again, this weekend, Gasparini rotated, but Ilicic missed out and only came on off the bench. Raphael, do you think that that's a conscious decision from Gasparini to maybe start looking to the younger generation with the likes of Pasina and Malinowski and Pasalic coming through in those positions? Yeah, it definitely looks like he's trying to mix things up in general. I think another big change that he has made is that Muriel is increasingly getting the starting spot these days. I mean, he's, he's had the reputation as being a bit of a super sub and, you know, only really scoring when he comes on. But he started the last few games and he's, he hasn't played badly at, at all. He's even scored. So it'd be interesting to see going moving forward, actually, what um, you know, what front two he goes with. Because I think Muriel and Malinowski here was, 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 was good enough. But then, you know, what will, what will happen when, um, when Zapata comes back from injury, actually? You know, will um will he go with the same sort of uh, same sort of front two as he did against against Real Madrid? So I think it I think it's encouraging actually that he is open to moving away from Milicic. And I think because I think we've seen he's um I don't know he was he was a bit he did although he did bring Milicic on at the um in the in the Real Madrid game. You know there was a bit of uh, there was a bit of tension between player manager you know we saw Gasparini yell towards Ilicic to you know to get a move on when he when he wasn't doing anything on the pitch so I mean that well that that's partly a you know a tactical uh, maybe a tactical mistake on the part of the manager as well to bring Ilicic on in a, in that sort of situation but it does show 
but you know, but the fact that he is rotating anyway in attack shows that he is, you know, open to new to these new combinations. Just wanted to throw in there as well the fact that they've actually signed a couple of players over the last 12 months that could probably fill those uh, attacking midfield roles as well. You've got Viktor Kovalenko who came in in January. He's, he's not even played yet since he's come over from Ukraine. You've got Alexei Moranchuk who came in in the summer as well. He's not had uh, much game time in the league. He scored a good goal against Inter um, earlier on in the season. But you've got actual strength in depth in this Atlanta team as well. You know, you're looking at the team 18 months, maybe two years ago, and you're relying on Gomez and you're relying on Ilicic week after week. Now it's becoming much more of a squad uh, unit at Atlanta. I think that's what Gasparini is almost trying to sort of put forward. Ilicic is not getting any younger. And, you know, all throughout his career in uh, Italy, he's been a Maverick-style player. He's not someone you can necessarily rely on week after week. So maybe in terms of his system, because you know, it's been proven this season, that his system is the one that's carrying Atalanta rather than the player necessarily. He's maybe trying to bed in uh, the next generation of attacking players. And Moranjuk and Kovalenko look like players who have been signed for that purpose, uh, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I also think that... Um... I agree with Raphael that um, to me it felt like a little bit of a punishment this uh, Ilicic not not starting um, because to me it's more obvious to play Ilicic uh, in that position than Malinowski even though Malinowski had a great game he scored a great goal so I feel like um, Gasparini was annoyed with how Ilicic came on against Real Madrid but also I think that Gasparini likes the way that Muriel and Zapata Bata work with Pessina coming in from behind. Pessina is a slightly different player to Gomez, obviously. And I think before, whereas Ilicic and Gomez would play kind of either side of a front three, Pessina comes much more from the middle. And so he he favours a front two more, if you like. It works better for him to have Muriel and, Zap- and Zapata in front of him. And so that's slightly changed the way that Atalanta play, in my opinion. And that's why Ilicic is you know, got a little bit less game time more recently because Muriel and Zapata with Pessina behind them have been doing so well. Well, yeah, it seems with Atalanta's tweaks, whatever they're doing, it's still working as they moved into the top four for the first time in a while this weekend. Um, aside, just outside the top four right now is Napoli. They got back to winning ways this weekend, uh, 2-0 against Benevento. They're only just outside the top four right now, but... Jake, do you think they're ultimately going to come up a bit short because of their inconsistency? We've also seen that in Europa League recently as they were knocked out by Granada last week. So is that a concern for you, uh, looking ahead for the rest of the season for them? Yeah, I think ultimately the inconsistency is going to cost them Champions League football. And I think it probably cost uh, Gattuso his job as well. I think uh, the fact that the strength and depth for this squad that they've got uh, is in place at the moment, they will have been expecting top four. And if you're in the, the Europa League, they should have been looking at uh, making a sort of a charge for that, really. I think Napoli have had a pretty strong rise over the past decade or so, and they've had some really good teams, uh, you know, Cavani, Lovetsy, Hamsik, and they're moving on to Sarri's Napoli. Um, you know, it's been pretty strong. But I think in terms of depth, this is arguably the strongest squad that they've had. I think maybe standout players, maybe not as much so, but they've got players who can come in every position. I think, for example, you've got two really good fullbacks on either side that could start for most teams in the league, really. You've got some really strong options in the field now. You've got Bakayoko, you've got Deme for added depth. Even Petania, I know he has his critics, but he's an effective player uh, in Serie A football. You know, there's, there's some real um, quality running through that squad. So for them to come so close and, you know, they're capable of it, you know, they beat Juventus every week quite comfortably, you know, they're capable of uh, upsetting teams, but the fact that they just keep choking in really random games that you almost don't expect them to, uh, it's, it's, it's strange, really. Uh, it's, it's similar to what Gattuso was like in Milan, really. I, I, I can see them missing out. I can see them definitely getting in Europa League, maybe fifth or sixth place finish, just because I think the teams will be more consistent. You know, I can see Atalanta, I can see Milan, I can see... Uh, you've been into all finished above them without a doubt. So I think there'll be a change manager in the summer. Uh, I think maybe there could be an opportunity for Sorry to come back. I know Spalletti's been mentioned. I feel for good too, so because I like him. He's he's a good guy, and you know I think a lot of the players quite admire him as well. But the fact that they're so inconsistent that it, they'll just they'll be lucky if they qualify for the top. I'd be very very surprised. I uh, <laughs> I disagree a bit with Jake on this one. Um, I agree that Napoli have got a really, really strong squad. They've got lots of depth. And um, whilst 
losing in Europa League was, uh, you know, Gattuso was really disappointed. He was angry. He was obviously gutted about it. I feel like it could really help their league form. I think they're going to get some players back as well, so they're going to be stronger. And having just one competition to focus on is going to give them a real chance of qualifying for the Champions League. Um, I think the other thing worth mentioning is, even though it feels like Napoli have had a pretty poor season so far, they are only three points off the Champions League places and they do have, albeit a tough game, in hand. So I think Napoli are really very much in the running for qualifying for Europe and I wouldn't be at all surprised if they uh, sorry, for the Champions League and I wouldn't be at all surprised if they manage it. Yeah, I agree, to be honest. I think, um, you know, they have had, Gattuso had, has, has had a tough time in, in the last few months, especially after his, um, after the whole contract talk situation. And I think, you know, you look at you look at the the you know the hand he's been dealt. You know, you've had he's had his two main centre backs out of in of uh, well, one one for red card and another for um, for COVID. Um, in the last few in the last few games, now Koulibaly is going to be out again because of his uh, his red card. So that's another that's another massive blow. Um, he hasn't had Mertens available for the last few weeks. He's come back to the, he's come back uh, the weekend and he scored. So clearly that. You know he he can make an instant impact. He can turn their fortunes around. And yeah, I agree. I agree with the point about about the uh, you know about their European European exit. I mean, you know, it's the same argument we make about Inter. They're, they've only got one competition to to worry about. So potentially, you know, potentially we could see them going on a run of form. They've shown they can beat any side in the league. You know, up and down the league. Unlike unlike Roma, for example. So I still I still think they're very much in the running for you know top four maybe even maybe even third place. Yeah, I think uh, I think the top four race could well turn out to be the most exciting part of this season. In the end, I think there is the potential for Inter to possibly run away with things. There is the potential for the bottom three to get cut adrift, but I think this top four race is going to go right to the wire. Uh, I personally think Napoli will just miss out. I'm just with you on that one, Jake. So I think we're a bit split on that. Uh, we'll have to see. I think they've just got you know a few too many poor results in them that just come from nowhere, as as Jake says. Um, so I, I think they'll just miss out, but it's going to be intriguing. Um, and another side who it's always fascinating to follow, Alazio, they, they've had a really bad week, uh, to put it bluntly. Um, obviously got thrashed by Bayern last week, 4-1. Um, and then this weekend, losing 2-0 against Bologna. Chiro Immobile missed a penalty. Um What's gone wrong for them in the past week, Francesco? And with regards to their top four hopes, are they ultimately going to fall short because their defence isn't good enough? Um, I mean, it's tough to play Bayern Munich, I think, for any team. And getting a hammering off them, they're not the first team that have got a hammering off them and they won't be the last, I don't think. So it's possible that that game affected... uh, this, this defeat against Bologna as well this weekend. Um, this defeat this weekend is a lot more disappointing, I think, for them because for Lazio, for that top four race, I feel like they are the, the least strong. Um, so, I, you know, I feel like these, these defeats against teams that they should be beating are going to cost them the most. It's going to be diff- more difficult for them, in my opinion, to make up the points further on in the season. I uh, I do think that at the moment their def- their defense is letting them down, but it's more the fact that it's not just the defense; it's the fact that their squad I don't think has the depth of the other top seven sides. We've just spoken about Napoli and Atalanta, how they've added, how they've been able to add depth to their squads, and how if some players are missing, it's not the end of the world because they've got adequate replacements. I feel like with Lazio, they've got a few key players that if they are missing, they will really struggle with. And we've seen that with their defence over the last couple of weeks where other players have come in and they just haven't been up to it. And and But but that I think that would be true for their midfield and for their forwards as well. I think if Mobile or uh, Luis Alberto or um, uh, any of the other midfielders really gets injured, there isn't a like-for-like replacement of the same quality. And I think that is where they have less than the other teams who are up challenging for the Champions League. 
Yeah, it's certainly been difficult for them. As, as you said, Bayern have handed out a fair few thrashings in their time. I think they've scored 11 goals in their last two visits to Rome now. So uh, I don't think any, I don't think Roma or Lazio will want to invite them back anytime soon, really. Um, but we're going to move on now to the bottom half of the table, which is also very intriguing right now. Um, I'm going to start with Palmer. It was a bit sort of a you know, deja vu from the previous weekend, to be honest. I'll, I'll come to you, Jake, uh, for this one first. Um, two nil up against Betsia, all looking good, looking like they're going to pick up a crucial win. And they blew it in the second half and it ended up 2 2. Um, your take on this did they show enough that they're going to stay up? Or was their sort of fragility in the second half a showing of why they will go down this year? Uh, I think they are going to get relegated this season. And uh, it pains me to say it because the romantic in me wants Palmer in the top flight because, you know, it's not quite top flight Serie A football without Palmer for me. Uh, so I am disappointed. Every week I look out for the result and I want them to win, but they're just not good enough. And uh, I thought the change in manager would make a bit of a difference. Um, you could see under Liverani sort of similarities between this Palmer side and his Lecce team last year. Really gung-ho going forward, not a lot defensively, no real sort of structure to anything and the inability to hold leads at the moment. They've had a couple of, uh, you know, games over the last couple of weeks that you'd expect them to get results from. Uh, I think it's really disappointing that they've only been able to draw against Udinese and Spezia from their point of view, their games that they target getting results from. And the problem is you've got a big gap between the sort of bottom four and the rest almost. Benevento are getting dragged into that a little bit. Um, but you've got such a big gap. You can't afford to be throwing away points at all. I think Torino are starting to almost come away from that bottom three a little bit now as well. I think for me, Palmer and Crotone are going to get relegated this season. I think Palmer are just ultimately not clicking into gear in any way. I think the new signings they've made have not made any difference either. Not that they're getting much playing time, which I think is really bizarre. Signing a player like Josh Zerksey and uh, from Bayern Munich and not even really giving him a fair crack either. Persist with Cornelius game after game. Uh, it's pretty solid strain. I know he scored last week, but he's not top level uh, Italian football quality for me. Uh, they're they're going to get relegated this season. To be fair, I do think they they might have a chance. I think you know the last two games we've seen that actually you know Diversa has maybe you know let up a bit and just used a few used those January signings a bit more. Uh, we saw the weekend that um, Cornelius was um, I think Cornelius was dropped actually. He was on the he was on the bench. Uh, it was Brunetta who played instead. So you know maybe there is a bit more more willingness to change things up and go for it a bit more. I think you know in terms of the actual play, if we if we, if we ignore the fact that they collapsed, you know it is encouraging that they are getting these getting these leads. And you know even if even if they're not managing to close them out, there is. There are positive signs. I think, you know, I think ultimately the fact that the fact, I mean, the fact that their attack uh, throughout the season has been Cornelius and Caramo, which I've, 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 I mean, I've always found funny because it's that was the exact attack that my team uh, Bordeaux had in 2018, and we we shipped them off like both of them at the end of the season. So it's quite funny for me to see them sort of ending up in Serie A together in the same team, and you know producing the same results basically so I think you know he is there is sort of this willingness to change things up a bit and he has he has it's it's got them I think it's got them results even if they haven't been able to sort of close out these games there are there are positive signs and I think there is a bit of a glimmer of hope that they could stay up still yeah they're not quite fully cut adrift yet I, I agree with you there um but yeah, it, it it is still looking a little bit bleak for them having, you know, thrown away four points essentially in the last two games. Um, but also down the bottom, we have two of the bottom three playing each other in Cagliari and Crotone. Of course, it was Cagliari's first game under Semplici and uh, they managed to pick up a 2-0 win. Very important. Um, for you, Francesco, um, did you see enough in this game to suggest that Cagliari can stay up now? Or was it simply a case of they're playing the bottom side and they absolutely had to win this game? Uh, I um, I actually 
think that I've I've because every every week it feels like Harry are doing okay and then just not getting results to me. And if you look at their team, they've got so many good players that you'd expect them to be doing better than they are. So there is a little bit about the fact that they were playing the bottom side, but also I feel like this this win could be a catalyst for them. And um, I you know I'm feeling quite confident that they can stay up now. I feel like. Um, Pavoletti scoring again. If he returns to form, he can be such a good striker um, and so important to them. And him plus Chapedo has been scoring goals this season. And if you think about players like Nangolan, um, they they have players who 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 have experience and can get them out of this mess. I think. You know, I wasn't sure about Semplici. I would have liked to have seen them carry on with Di Francesco, but um, it's a it's a great start for him, a victory, and um, they're now. You know, only two points off of safety. I know Torino have still got to play, but they—they they look. I, I feel like they can definitely stay up now, and um, I'd give them a lot more chance than I would to Parma. And given the score they've got, I think there's nowhere they should be in the position they're in. I think you can look at sort of four or five teams further up the table than them. Definitely like Suspetia, Benevento, Udinese. They've got much stronger squads than those teams. So it's on paper. There's nowhere they should be in a relegation battle. Uh, I think they should have sacked Di Francesco much earlier. I think maybe even 10 games ago, I think it's just not worked. And that's nothing against Di Francesco. He's, he's had his merits. He's been a good manager uh, in spells, you know, Roma, Sassuolo, but it's, it just didn't work. Uh, Semplici, you know, we've, we've seen it with his spell side. He, he made them really resolute, strong and tough to beat. So if you can add that quality uh, to this Cagliari side, I think there's a definite chance that they can stay up. But it's just that worry that those sides just above uh, Torino quite a little bit clear so and they've got some ground to make up that's the only thing that sort of makes me wonder about the bottom four they have to pick up points because they're chasing constantly uh, on the coattails of those teams above them yeah it's an interesting one with Di Francesco because I think the romantic in all of us remembers those Sassuolo and Roma sides and, and when they're at their best they're outstanding but at Sampdoria and now Cagliari it has sort of fallen apart for him so it'll be interesting to see what his next move will be actually. Um, I was going to ask uh, is there any chance Crotone can stay up but given what you guys have said about Cagliari and Palmer I don't think I'm going to bother. Um, <laughs> so on to the only other game of the weekend which we haven't covered Udinese Fiorentina that finished 1-0 to Udinese I'm more going to focus on Fiorentina, to be honest, Raphael. Have you got anything more to add on them based on previous weeks or is it simply going to be potluck as to which Fiorentina turns up from now until the end of the season? Because we've seen just some ridiculously inconsistent performances from them this year. It does seem like it, yeah. I think the only the only sort of shining light in that team is Vlaovic still. You know, he's the only one who really got, got any chance of in that game, and you know, obviously, with um, with Musso in goal, very very good goalkeeper. Obviously, that was it was always going to be difficult for him to. If you add on some of the limited service he had in that game, so yeah, it it's it really is a case of you know which which Fiorentina is going to turn up. I think, you know, it's 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 a shame because yeah, the, the you know when you, you look at you look at the team itself. A lot of those players came in, you know, they came in with a lot of, you know, with a lot of hope, with a lot of, you know, a lot of, a lot of, you know, expectations really. And it seems like they've, they've now they've sort of gone into the that Fiorentina rhythm, in a way. And Ribery has been very disappointing in the last uh, in the last few months, really. It's which you know, you wouldn't really have expected him to be one of those one of those players. Who sort of you know epitomizes how how lethargic, how inconsistent they've been this season. But you know, it's been, you know, a player of his pedigree, you know, with all he's won. But it seems like he's he's just settled into that that rhythm, it's the same as all the all their other players. And yeah, it is going to be dependent on Vlaovic to sort of getting back off the ground. I I think there's an argument to say that. Fiorentina are the biggest underachievers in Serie A this season. If you look at their squad, um, they've got some really good players. Um, players who've done well recently as well in recent season, like Amrabat, like um, Castrovilli, 
Ribéry, uh, you mentioned Vlaovic, who's having, actually having a good season. But if you look at that group of players that they have in that uh, at Fiorentina, they sh- they should be doing better, and um, they they are one of the most disappointing sides. So I think I think they're going to stay up, and I think that's a good thing because they are potentially a big club. I think they've got an interesting chairman who's ambitious. Comiso wants to do things in Florence. He wants them to be a big team, and and so I think potentially there is there are good things around the corner for Fiorentina. I think also there have been some rumours that, uh, you know, they're, they're lining up Maurizio Sarri. I think if they were able to get him, that could be a really interesting combination. He's got, you know, a connection with Tuscany. It's where he grew up and we know the kind of football he can bring to places. I also think it's the kind of place where he would be able to express himself a little bit better in a way that he wasn't able to do at Juventus and possibly even at Chelsea. You know, he wouldn't have the same sort of pressure. It's a different kind of, uh, you know, with all due respect to Fiorentina, slightly more provincial. They're a slightly smaller club. So I, I think he might feel more comfortable. And yet he does have some players there that he could do a great job with. So if that was to, to come to fruition, then I think, you know, good things could be around the corner of Fiorentina next season. Yeah, I think Fiorentina have been really underachieving the last three or four years, to be honest. Of course, they nearly got relegated two seasons ago. Um, and that would have been ridiculous given the squad they had back then. And their squad's even stronger now, in my opinion. So they're not completely out of the woods. Um, but yeah, the romantic in me again, I really, you know, just simple things. Like I really like the kit. I like the stadium. Florence is a lovely city. So I want them to do well, but... They've been shocking for a while now. So I'm, I'm hoping that at some point they can actually start playing some decent football again. Uh, but we'll see if that materialises. Um, so the final part of the show, I'm now going to move on to the upcoming week because we've got a full midweek round coming up. And we've got, uh, of course, the weekend fixtures. So I'll come to you first, Jake. What games stand out to you this week as being really ones to keep an eye on? I think the standout fixture for midweek is the Genoa derby. I think um, Genoa against Sampdoria will be a really good game. I think both sides are doing a little bit better now uh, than what they were earlier season. Definitely in Genoa's case, uh, they've almost sort of come back from the dead. They look like they were definitely in a relegation battle and their recent performances have dragged them uh, well up the table. I think that'll be a real cracking game. Uh, I wouldn't like to call it either. Uh, I think that'll be uh, a really good watch. Um, I'm enjoying watching Hellas Verona at the moment. I mean, they are the ultimate underdogs. So seeing them play at Benevento, that'll be a game that I'll definitely be watching. I'm, I'm, I'm really enjoying watching Verona and uh, what Juric is doing with that side. They're, they're, they're plucky, to say the least. And I thought they could maybe have even edged a win against Juve the other day. So, yeah, they're the two games that I'm looking forward to the most in midweek. How, how about you, Raphael? Any, any games from midweek or, or the weekend that catch your eye? Uh, in terms of midweek games, I, I was going to say Lazio Torino, but it doesn't look like that's going to go ahead because of the... Uh... The COVID cases in the uh, in the Torino squad, which is a shame because they have picked up form. They they got a win. They got a win the the, the week before last. Uh, obviously, their their game of the weekend got postponed as well, so we, we didn't get the chance to see them this weekend. Sort of if they could build on that. And um, but yeah, to play against Lazio, you know that would have been it would have been a, a, an opportunity for both sides really to to really get off the ground get get back into some, some sort of form I think we would have been able to see if if Torino really you know if if the, if the changes that, that, that have been made in that club have really taken foot and taken hold so yeah it, it does look like that's, that game is going to play be played just, so it's going to be postponed but I mean in terms of in terms of weekend games I think the biggest one will be probably Inter Atalanta in terms of in terms of pure entertainment. Really, I think mean, that's that's going to be on Monday evening. Mm-hmm. So you know, once once all the other teams have played, so but probably yeah, the best the best way you could uh, you could finish off a match day. Yeah, and I think uh, yeah, just just going to come to you last, Francesco, because we've talked about a few games there. Uh, actually, the Lazio Torino game it is, as you say, Raphael, a massive shame that isn't happening for me personally. I think the reverse fixture was the game of the season so far. That was quite frankly unbelievable. But um, just looking ahead to this week, we talked about how Inter maybe their Achilles heel could be when they don't have as much time to prepare for games. So, do you think taking on a Parma side that have 
shown a little bit more recently, and then Atalanta on the weekend. Could this be a week where potentially in to have a stumble? Um, I think it's unlikely. I feel like it, it, with with Inter's return to kind of form recently, their good form. Like I said earlier, it's not just about the fact that they've had a week to prepare. In fact, that's only recently started to happen because there have been lots of midweek fixtures and the Italian Cup and everything. It's more the fact that Conte's found a settled side. And I feel like they they should be okay on Thursday. I'm on, I mean, I'm not saying it's impossible, but um, I feel like Inter should be beaten Parma and the fact that they've had only, only a couple of days to prepare shouldn't really affect them because they have such a settled side. I think it's worth underlining as well in these midweek features fixtures sorry, that nearly all of the big sides have very winnable matches. So it is getting to that point in the season where all the points matter a lot and it's going to be interesting to see if any of them slip up because as far as I can see, they're all winnable matches. The other match I'd just like to mention is, is Cagliari against Bologna. I think it's a real opportunity for Cagliari. Bologna is safe. They haven't really got much to play for, I think. And Cagliari coming on off a, a good win they, you know, there's no reason why they couldn't beat Bologna and, and get out of the relegation zone for for the first time in a in a long time. So I think that's an interesting one to keep your eye on. Yes, yeah, certainly, certainly uh, going to be an interesting midweek, and then through to the weekend, we'll see if any uh, positions change uh, by the by the time we meet up again next week. Uh, so thanks a lot for joining me, guys. It's been a really good episode, uh, and thanks everyone for listening. And we'll catch you guys again soon. Thanks. Bye bye.